Hey, hey, welcome to episode 56 of the Authors Read podcast. I'm your host, Leah Ryan. Today's guest is Russell Heath, and he'll read from his book, Wren's Crossing. Wren's Crossing is a literary thriller. I wanted to write a well-written novel with literary attention to the prose and characters, but that also had a driving storyline. You will not be able to put this book down. It takes place in Alaska and dives deep into the state's political and social upheavals. It's about three friends, once united by their love for Alaska, but who betray each other as the forces ripping apart the state drive them to choose sides. Ring's Crossing by Russell Heath, Chapter 1, Friday, June 6. The housing came loose in his hands, scraping against the engine block. Rin stopped and listened to the night. There's only the wind fidgeting in the trees. Rin eased off the track, holding the housing in a gloved hand. With a pair of pliers, he felt for the filter, gripped it by its lip, and lifted, feeling it lighten as oil drained back into the housing. When the filter felt empty, he leaned the housing against the track, patted the ground for the bag beside him, and dropped the filter inside. He tied off the bag and lifted a plastic bottle filled with beach sand and poured a handful into the housing. Rin climbed back up on the track, screwed the housing back into the engine. When he had it tight, he switched on a flashlight and concealing its red beam with his body, examined the housing for finger marks, grains of sand, and drops of fresh oil. It looked good. He snapped off the light, gathered up the bag, and brushed away his footprints. He paused, listening again to the night then moved down slope toward the bay, letting the ruts in the road guide his feet. The road was new. The metallic tang of gravel freshly scraped from the earth hung in the air and mixed with the acrid bite of sap from the trees cleared to make way for the road. The trees had been western hemlock and Sitka spruce and five and six hundred years old, and if they'd been still standing, their tops would have brushed the heavy clouds slipping by overhead. Rin had walked under them once. A side road cut a hole in the forest. Rin jogged down it. The black bulk of a front-end loader sat next to a sorting screen and a pile of gravel. Rin found the oil filter cover and poured a handful of sand down the pipe. The grains would sink into the engine oil and lie suspended in the thick liquid until the engine was cranked to life the next morning. The sharp crystals of feldspar quartz and magnetite carried by the oil, would work their way between the pistons and the cylinder walls and score the hardened steel. Tens of thousands of minute scratches would roughen the rapidly moving surfaces. The engine's internal friction would grow, and the engine would begin to overheat. By the time the operator noticed his temperature gauge rising, the engine would have been destroyed. Rin sprayed a burst of WD-40 around the inside of the filler tube to wash the grains down and out of sight. It was hard to judge the right amount of sand. Too much, and one or two machines might seize up and alert the camp to his work before the others had been seriously damaged. Too little, and nothing would happen before the senator arrived. If Wren judged things right, radiators would be boiling over, and engines seizing up about the time Senator D. Hill flew into the camp. It would suck the gloating clean out of his little spectacle. Wren climbed off the front-end loader. A grater was parked in the deeper shadows at the back of the pit. The rhythm of his work came to him, 
He quickly removed its filter, sanded its engine oil, and then with a grease gun, pumped grease laced with sand into each Zerk fitting he could reach. He headed back out to the road and methodically poured sand into the crankcases or gearboxes of the machinery he found. He'd missed some, but he had only tonight. Tomorrow, the troopers would be hunting for him. Rin looked up at the upper branches of the spruce, black against the clouds. No matter the damage he did to Tlikwan's machinery, the trees would be gone by summer's end. In a just world, his would be the lesser crime. But in this world, it was a mistake to expect too much of justice. Rin cut into the woods, picking his way in the darkness between the trees and overfallen deadwood. He dropped to his belly and inched forward on his elbows to the edge of the bank overlooking the logging camp. It was small and deeply shadowed by floodlights hanging from poles spaced across the yard and by smaller lights over the doors of the living quarters. Except for the muted beat of a generator, it was quiet. Under his charge of anger, the ache of loss bored into him. A woman had shared these majestic trees with him one summer just a few years before when he had thought without thinking that both she and they would be with him forever. Rin probed the shadows. There wouldn't be a night watchman. The camp was 50 miles from the nearest village, but somebody could be out for a smoke. He crouched and peering into the yellow darkness, then leapt down from the bank and ran across the hard pack yard to the generator shack. Sinking into the shadows, he stopped, listened, and ran to the next building, a prefabricated steel warehouse. He crept to the far side. In front of him, parked in a sloppy line leading toward the mess hall and the barracks were the trucks. There wasn't much night left. Rin slipped from the building shadow and ran to the nearest truck. He popped the levers, locking the hood, stepped on the front bumper, held onto the hood ornament, and leaned backward. It canted open. He searched the engine for the oil filler cap and dropped sand into the hole. Grains of sand spilled onto the engine. He left them there. Truckers didn't check their fluid levels like equipment operators did. He moved quickly from truck to truck, stopping and listening every few minute moments. He didn't touch the last few trucks. They were too exposed and he needed to get back in the trees. Gray stained the eastern sky. Rin ran softly back the way he had come, dodging from truck to truck, light from, the, from a flood hanging on a pole, splashing a gap between two trucks. He sped through it, head down, protecting his night vision. In the dust and loose gravel, he saw his own print, made minutes before, headed in the other direction. He saw something else and went liquid with fear. He scrambled into the shadow of the truck, crawling under the trailer and stared back at his print, stark in the light. Cutting off a corner of it was the truck of a boot with lugged soles. Rin swung his head, eyes racking the darkness. Someone had stepped in his print. Someone who couldn't have missed Rin running from truck to truck and pouring sand into engines. He crouched under the trailer, his back to the massive wheels, the darkness no longer hiding him, but hiding someone else. He searched for feet hidden in the shadows, for eyes watching him. He listened, strained against the rasp of blood pulsing in his ears for the scuff of a boot against dirt, a breath, the soft whiff of denim rubbing denim. He heard nothing. He drew his knife and wrapped it in his jacket to muffle the click as the blade locked in place. He took a breath, released it. He would threaten. He wouldn't kill. 
He willed his fingers to ease their grip on the bone handle. He feared what he would do to stay free. He crawled to the next wheel, peered past it. The floodlight was behind him now, its light shredded by the hard edges of the truck, left wells of darkness where it didn't reach. He searched each dark hole, feeling hidden eyes on him. He slipped across the gap to the next truck, his heart thudding hard for the brief second of exposure. Why hadn't an alarm been sounded? He wanted to sprint full stride to the woods. What did it matter now? He'd been seen, and the crankcase the crank oil he'd sanded would be drained. The engines flushed, and the machine safely back to work by mid-morning. He crawled to the far side of the truck. Beyond it lay 30 feet of open ground, then the steel building, then the generator shack, and behind that, the trees. The stillness unnerved him. Was he being stalked? He sprinted across the yard, knife ready, past the steel building, and into the darkness behind the generator shack. He slumped against the wall, his head by the hot exhaust stack, the rumble blocking the night sounds. The wall vibrated. He heard the rattle of valves releasing hot gases. Then he felt it, a movement, soft, gentle, human. It came from inside the shack. He ran. He made the woods, dodging trees, running until he found the road. He moved fast, his pack slapping his back, his legs stretching to full stride, running in the wheel ruts where the first trucks up the road would grind his prints to dust. He counted his paces. At 1800, he turned left, leaping off the gravel shoulder and into the woods. He snapped on the flashlight. Ridged trunks and thickets of Devil's Club loomed in his feeble be- its feeble beam like red ghosts. He'd stretched an arm to shield his face. No one followed. He cut no-name stream and waded in, stumbling down the fast-moving current, his double-soled boots slipping on the rocks, the, wa- <clears throat> the rushing water pushing against his legs. It deepened, water sloshing over the tops and into his boots. He climbed out and hiked the bank and thrust urgently through the thick brush. His kayak was hidden in a dense stand of alder. It was heavy with camping gear, and he struggled to drag it through the brush and into the water. The lower 20 yards of the stream were tidal, and the rising tide had pulled the stream behind the seawall. Rin stuffed his pack into the bow, climbed in, and snapped the spray skirt around the lip of the cockpit, then planted the paddle in the black water and pulled. The kayak slipped forward. Rin guided into the channel, cut through the seawall. In front of him, the waters of No Name Bay lay dark and unmoving. The camp lights across the bay were hard points in the pre-dawn grayness. He lifted his paddle for another stroke and stopped. The blade hung in the air. On the shore, on the edge of the stream, was a small tent, colorless in the dull light. Rin let the boat's momentum carry him past the tent before dipping his paddle again. Then he pulled hard, aiming further for the first point of land that would hide him from the sleeping camper. Why did they let me go? I'd like to thank Russell for sharing his book with us today. And thank you for listening to the Author's Read podcast. Be sure to check out the show notes for the link to the book. If you'd like to support the Author's Read podcast, please like, subscribe, or share. Until next time.